Hello, I'm Katherine Stanley, Chair of the Organizational and Leadership Psychology Department at William James College. We are educating organizational psychology professionals to assist leaders and their companies in meeting their goals while creating thriving and vibrant internal workplace cultures. Our graduates work in for-profits and not-for-profits in all industries, from large and boutique consulting firms to military and government. For those of you who are new to our podcast series, Leadership Hacks, it will air once a month to examine timely topics and current events through the lens of organizational and leadership psychology. By sharing the psychology that influences individuals, teams, and whole systems, we endeavor to help you shift your thinking and see the world in a new way. With this new perspective, you can discover innovative approaches to solving the complex problems all business professionals face. We hope the insights offered by our experts are helpful to you as you tune in. Kirsten Moss is the Director of Admissions at Stanford's Graduate School of Business and is completing her doctoral degree in leadership psychology from William James this month. Kirsten was Harvard's Director of Admissions as well for their undergraduate school of business. She's the only person in the world to have held both positions at these two stunning universities. Um, she's also worked in executive assessment at Egan Zender, and she coaches CEOs. For her doctoral project, she conducted a mixed method study to explore transformational leadership qualities of top graduate school candidates through structured interviews. She then compared those qualities found in the interviews to see how they matched up with a popular transformational leadership 360 assessment called the Multi-Factor Leadership Questionnaire, or the MLQ, which had never been vetted in this manner before. The results of her study are compelling. Um, companies spend massive amounts of time and money and human capital when they promote or hire executives who are poor leaders and are not the right type of leader for the job or the organization. It's a big problem. One of the holy grails of talent acquisition is figuring out how to assess executive candidates accurately. There are many measures out there that propose to do this from the Hogan assessment, leadership styles, inventories, and many others. It's big business, but does it work? I'm delighted that Kirsten is here to join us today to share her expertise in candidate assessment and discuss what she found in her recent study. Kirsten. It's so great to have you here. So tell us a little more about your professional background first. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Um, I, for the last, or for the majority of my professional career, I've really, my true north has been focusing on leadership assessment and development. And I've had my foot in two different contexts as I've looked at that. One is on the academic side, and I think you mentioned, I started out at Harvard Business School running their career development center and also admissions, and then the other has been on the business side. And these have all been different lenses to look at this problem of how do you find leaders. In career development, that was my first introduction, a big part of my job was talking to students about what they valued and what, they, what were their inner motivations for in the world of work. And then also meeting with thousands of companies to see what they were looking for in terms of leadership competencies and how they could find the right talent to meet those competencies. And then after that, the next step was focusing on admissions. And really, the problem at that point at Harvard was you have 10,000 people applying. How do you winnow that down? And it's not just about the academic potential of a student. It's really, can they go change the world? Can they be leaders with a capital L? You know, I didn't have to find it for a particular job or industry, but really, what are those competencies that will help them make a difference? And then the second part of my career has really been back to the business side. 
And that, you mentioned I'd done executive recruiting. Part of the work I was doing there was looking at senior executives. So at the other end of the spectrum, once you make it to the C-suite, how have those competencies changed over time? And then, as well with the coaching, how do you help someone develop competencies that they might not have to make them more inspirational and successful? So that's really the, the, two, sides of the, the two sides of the puzzle that I've been um, putting together to try to figure this stuff out. That's awesome. And it is really a puzzle, because we know when we get an executive in there that does really badly, not only does it make the front page of the New York Times, it costs the company so much money, and, and money they can't even calculate in terms of people who leave that would have helped that company or the world in terms of what that company's mission is. So I think this Absolutely. is a really hard nut to crack, what you've studied and kind of figured out. And I think only you could have done it, in a sense, because you have all this experience. Like, how many thousands of people have you assessed? Exactly. <laughs> so, many, so you, many hours in the seat. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So I think this is really exciting to see what you found out. So um, so I think that covers what inspired you. Is there anything else you want to say about that? Well, uh, that's, that's the lens I think I yeah. bring to this, the experience. But what inspired me, there's two pieces. One, and you start to talk about this, it's a big problem. Yeah. When you think about, um, I was looking at some research recently over the last year and doing this dissertation, and there's a great study by the dean from Harvard Business School who looked at, talked to CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, about 50 of them, and over half of them said their primary method of finding talent was using their gut feel. Mm. And there was very little agreement among the 50 CEOs of these Fortune 500 companies on what methods work, what should they be assessing. So that's one piece of it. And then the other, it's about... For one bad hire, it can cost a company, on average, about a quarter of a million dollars. So, big problem. That's important to me exactly. to solve. And then the second part of it, though, is there's very little research out there about how to assess leadership during a selection process. And that was amazing to me. I think anyone's ideal in doing research is to find, um, try to put together. There's a lot of research about selection constructs and methods, but how do you put that together with this problem of transformational, I'm sorry, I should step back. There's a lot of research about different kinds of leadership and a lot of research about different kinds of selection methods and constructs, but none that bring them together. In fact, one of the things I looked at was only 2% of the um, competencies looked at in interviews in one study was was at leadership, actually, if you can imagine. So most interviews that that are happening is on experiences, interests, that kind of things, but not leadership. So great, that was, that's what drew me to it. I said, maybe there's a way that I can use my experience in looking for leaders to really figure out how do we do this in the selection process before they get into companies and organizations. Yeah, I think it's really needed too, and it's just striking how you know, there's some questions on interest and values, but then I'm sure a lot of the interviews are around technical skills and then mm-hmm. the political savvy, things like this, but not around how are you going to inspire people and keep people yeah, and retain people. Yeah, behaviors, exactly. And what does exactly. that look like? Anybody can hold it together for half an hour and say, oh, I'll involve people. Or, you know, exactly. But have they so really done that, you mm-hmm. know, and how do you And why don't we have out? more studies on that? Why yeah. haven't, why? It seems crazy. Yeah, I think there's been about 35 years of research on selection history, but most of it's about looking at your IQ and how, mm-hmm. or your personality traits, or even as you said, experience technical. and interest. Yeah, technical yeah. things. And then the other thing I noticed that even though data about their about structured interviews and even methodologies are out there, companies rarely use those well. It seems like a big hurdle exactly. sometimes. They think, oh, that's too hard or it takes too long. Versus, you know, hey, wait, that's good time invested, right? Versus hiring right. somebody who's going to get in there and make all your best people quit. Absolutely right. I think um, there are three times as predictive structured interviews, 
but from the data I looked at, less than 20% of companies use them. Isn't that crazy? Right. So another reason. Why not? And yeah. how can we do it? How can we make it easier? That yeah. was part of the study as well. I think you've, you've stumbled upon some things that, that answer that. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your study? Because I think it's a really unique study in that it's mixed mes methods, and you've tested some things that really haven't been tested before, which people spending money in the MLQ, for one, would be pretty interested in to hear. Yeah. Um, so I looked at those two. I talked about them. They're two almost mountains of academic research out there over the last 30 to 50 years. One was looking at leadership, and I decided to use transformational leadership as a construct just because out there it has been tested more than any other in terms of being validated. And I, you know, after studying it in this program for the last few years, I believe in it. There's so much data that shows that transformational leaders um, have better performance, more innovation, more job satisfaction for the people who work with them. And the behaviors that they look for were very clearly articulated. So that was the first thing. And um, as you mentioned, there was a MLQ survey, the multi-factor uh, multi leadership questionnaire, which had been vetted. So I knew this was a gold standard, and if I used that in my research, anything I found, I could compare it against. So on the one hand, I was looking to assess transformational leadership, and then the other piece was how. So I went back to the selection literature. And really, if you look at the last 30 years, the, the thing that has been strongest is structured interviews you mentioned. And I don't know if our listeners would know. Oh, yeah, what why don't you say more about that? So structured interview is generally using structure, um, the same questions for candidates, as well as the same type of rating system, rather than just going with your gut or asking what's on the top of your head. And they tend to be three times as effective as an unstructured interview. So and yours were also behavioral. I think that's right. so yeah. critical, because oftentimes we ask a candidate things like, you know, well, tell me about where you've done this before. But it, they can exactly. use really broad brush strokes. Oh, I did this here. But behavioral interviews really mean something quite different. And you use these with your subjects. Can you just explain like what that's like? Uh, and behavioral based interviews are being used at some of the executive assessment firms yeah. and some companies are uh, have it's been outsourced using them. though. Totally. Right, but not yeah. not internally. And essentially you're looking at past behavior to predict future patterns of behavior. And so I had been trained on this and actually started using it in admissions as well. And I think people have heard about these kinds of questions. For instance, in my protocol, I used very typical question, mm -hmm. and that was the beauty of this experiment. It wasn't anything that had not been done, right. but the results were, or the design was pretty simple and yeah. pulled it up things that the are already, right, yeah. it mimics what people are already doing. So a question might be, tell me about a time that you've gone above and beyond what was expected. Mm -hmm. Or Catherine, tell me about a time you've been, felt very effective right. in your professional work. What we're really trying to find is what are the most meaningful experiences this candidate has had. And through that, and hopefully you'll generate three, maybe four in an interview, a 50-minute interview, through that I can hear what are the actions that they've taken. Right. And they've been proven more predictive because I'm not asking the candidate to evaluate their own abilities. Like, oh, you know, are you good at whatever, presenting, whatever it is. I'm asking them to just tell me what they did. And it's yeah. much harder to make that up. And that's the drill down, too. It's not just like you don't stop there, the, the, what we call probes and research. Please, but yeah. when you say, tell me more about that, or give me an example, or who else was involved, it really gets down to them painting a picture of what they remember from the past, which is a lot more descriptive and detailed than them just saying, oh, yes, I did this big, broad thing, right? So Exactly That's right. why they're so powerful. Yeah, and we yeah. did, in this protocol, have a list of maybe 10 probes that I could use. And just that, tell me more about that. Yeah. Um, who else is involved in that? What else happened? So you get step by step by step. So it takes longer, but it's time well spent. 
yeah. for assessing the candidates. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So that was the second piece of it was I knew that um, structured interviews and in particular those that really look at past behavior would had been proven in the literature to be most effective. And I'd had a lot of experience using them over the last decade in my executive recruiting and coaching work. So essentially I was I um, found some subjects at a highly selective MBA program and I offered them an opportunity to have a coaching session with me if they participated in the study and give them the results. So uh, of the, I think there were 400 students in the class, about 15% wanted to participate and from them I was able to get a purposeful sample that was representative of the diversity in the class and that was nice. important to me to make sure that everyone, um, that it was a little microcosm of the larger class. Essentially I did a 50 minute interview with them and they gave me on average eight feedback providers. So they were their supervisors, peers and subordinates and those feedback providers were given the MLQ survey and that data was collected but I didn't look at it until after the interview because right. I didn't want to be biased. So after the interview I spent some time using, uh, call it grounded theory coding in order to assess the transcripts, they were all audio taped, which was fun for me because usually you don't audio tape candidates. And I was able to have a living record of each of these behaviors. And what I found through that process were there were about 45 different behaviors that came up that they shared. And they could be as easy, to things we were just talking about in those examples, could be as easy as um, goes above and beyond uh, your responsibilities, takes initiative above and beyond, or it could be uh, communicates a vision builds a coalition, very simple things, but I found these patterns repeated across the different candidates. And at the end of that, I put these behaviors into five different large umbrella buckets. Yeah. And then the real, so that was all fun. That was fun yeah. in games, Catherine. And then the real question was, well, I need to compare these back to the MLQ. I have to find some way to, quant, to make quantitative these qualitative yeah. um, transcripts. And Plus, it, to Because yeah. transformational leadership does break down into its own little sub-buckets, yes. too. So right. without having to force-fit it, which is why you didn't look at that first, you were trying to figure that out. And you did find some connection. You also found some differences, that it, things it doesn't assess for, which right. I think is pretty stunning. Right. Yeah. Should we go there now or come back? Yeah. No, yeah. I think just describing yeah. that, that what the MLQ tests for. That's great. Yeah. yeah. The four major buckets um, the MLQ tested for, but I found another one. Yeah. To your point, a fifth one. For one of them is empowering others. Yeah. The first one is setting a vision for the organization. A second one is building um, trust and respect. And then the third one is, let me see. Empowering, building trust and respect. Um, it's so funny. Oh. Setting the vision. Oh, of course. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Only one of my take life, not for remember. Yeah. Of course, the last one is um, influencing others. Right. So getting people right. to adopt your, your vision. And if you yeah. think of them, you set the direction, you get people to adopt it, you coach them, yeah. and then you also need to get respect from them. And that's them. what a transformational leader does according, and that's all based on the research. Yes. According so, to Bass, who developed it, right? So I think it's a really interesting question to say, when I interview them in a structured behavioral interview, am I finding evidence of some of this, that they're raiders? And then of course, the 360 is so much better than just self-assessment. Right. Right. So you're getting other people saying, did they do these? So that's what I think is so powerful about your study design. Yeah. You compared those things, and you got raiders to weigh in in this manner. Because we know that the self-assessment of our own behaviors isn't going to be accurate. Yeah. Biased. So what yeah. was amazing, to your point, is the behaviors that, are, that I coded within the interviews 
came up to be very similar to those large buckets of transformational leadership was looking at. And to be fair, over the last few years in this program, my favorite part was looking at the different leadership constructs, whether it's service leadership, authentic leadership, charismatic, they yeah. do have a similar so skeletal yeah, structure. Yeah. So some of you know some of these share these basic behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, after the interviews, then my job was to try to quantify it. And what I thought, because I've been doing this for a decade or more at this yeah. point, what I really thought was I would be looking at how big were the achievements, the outcomes that these individuals generated. And somehow I needed to grade them quantitatively, how many people did they touch, how much money did they make, I wasn't sure. Um, and the beauty, the simple, elegant beauty that happened was just sheerly the number of behaviors that they said, self-described in their interview, the sheer number and the range of the kinds of behaviors were highly predictive of performance and transformational leadership capability. As rated by others. As rated so by that's others. that's pretty interesting. And at the end of the day, those results, so if you look at the selection literature that's out there from meta-studies, several meta-studies, more like literally 10, 15 meta-studies, studies. Um, intelligence, cognitive intelligence or general mental abilities, what they found on average is about a 0.2 or to a 0.25 predictive, so that's a regression right. analysis. And then for personality traits, which Hogan and others look at, it's only 0.1. Yeah. But in this study, it was a 0.5, so explaining half of the variance of performance based on the number of behaviors and range of behaviors that I saw. That is pretty incredible, it's especially really in research. You don't get numbers like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. About, that's right. So I think what was most surprising to me in looking back, yes, it's nice that the numbers work, but even in interviewing the candidates, it wasn't as if I had to transcribe the interviews. Even after the interview, I just used the lens and took some notes and quickly put people into buckets of, they showed a high number, a medium number, a low number of behaviors that I heard in that actual interview. Even those matched up. Right. So I went back later and looked at my initial buckets and said, um, there was a very close match between high and low. And the reason was, on average, for the top five performers within this particular study, um, their average number of behaviors that they listed was about 75, so more than one a minute. Right. And in the lower group, it was about 20. So three and a half times more for someone. And the stories that they told had much more complexity right. than others. Right, the top. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. one of the things we're trying to do in selection research is find how, what differentiates people. Um, and that suggests, too, that in terms of leadership, they're spending more time being leaders, right? <laughs> that's it. You can, there's a whole podcast yeah, right there, right? I mean, but sometimes Absolutely. people think the leadership bit is the secondary bit of their job, not, you yes. know, because I'm going to make sure the technical pieces get taken care of yes. and not do the leadership pieces. And so. this is, and these behaviors, the way that it's yeah. um, ranked in most leadership surveys, including the MLQ, is on frequency. So people who do really well are doing these behaviors frequently, if not always. Right. So it's an everyday thing. It's the way you show up. It's not It's not something that you yeah, put a hat on yeah, and take exactly. off the shelf. Um, and I love that you said that because I think that's, for me, one of the most important parts about the study, especially doing ad admissions, is not only was it the frequency, but even more predictive was the range of behaviors. Right. So if we think about those, um, we didn't get there. The fifth bucket was yeah. that wasn't in the MLQ, actually, yes. was persistence and initiative. That, came, that kept coming up in my behaviors and is has been seen in other studies. So if I look at the five buckets I had, um, some of the candidates at the top 
were using 80% of those behaviors that I found, where ones in the bottom bucket might only be using 30%. Right. Huge difference. So really coming down to not only is it using them frequently, but are you as comfortable engaging others, getting up there and proactively influencing? Are you comfortable taking initiative, doing things that are above and beyond your job description? Um, Are you comfortable coaching? And I say comfortable, but... Enough so that that happens frequently, not just right. once in a blue moon when you have to sit down in the performance appraisal. Exactly. So though, I, and I, for me in admissions, what that means is helping people figure out which types of behaviors they're less likely to do. And then the big question for our development is why? Right. Because this will increase your performance. It's going to increase the effectiveness and performance of your team. Yeah. And it may just be a hard look at what stops you from taking, you know, you know, you probably know in your heart that they're good things to do, but what stops you from using them frequently? Right, and that's the coaching piece, right? Yeah. You know, there's so many implications for figuring this out, you know, in terms of your fifth bucket. And, and that leads us to the next question is what, was yeah. the most, what were some of the most compelling things you discovered? So I'll start there, and I think it was compelling to me because I've seen it with senior leaders that, and I kind of, I call it a flat tire. If you get to be in the CEO seat, you really, you know, the stakes are much higher. So if there's one of these domains that you just are not doing, it can really impact your team, the whole organization's culture. So I was realizing as I was coaching that I was spending just as much time trying to find the strengths, which is what we've all heard, find your strengths and leverage them. But really it was the things that people weren't doing that were having the biggest impact on the performance of the organization. Because if there are whole chunks of behavior you're not comfortable with, um, those have big impacts. And part of my job was just to have people reflect and figure out why. And little by little experiment. We can all learn these behaviors. You just A, don't know you're not doing them or they're important, and B, you haven't taken the time to really dig into what can change. So that was one. The second, sorry. Typically, I was just going to say, like, a lot of CEOs in there now, if they, the things that got them there and what they were raised with, so to speak, in a company are different qualities than what they need when they get to the job. So And true. then with, like, the newest generation and more technology and more connectedness, this, these transformational qualities are even more important because of the complexity. So, so true. it's just interesting that, you know, yeah. the one's not using it and how do they use it. It might, it might even be a strength that's just authorizing themselves to say, this I love matters, that word, right? authorizing. Yeah. Right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to initiate it. It's and like try trained it. behavior, right? right? <laughs> exactly. The other thing, though, is it isn't, for me, I saw it more. What happens at the senior levels if you're not doing these things, your your run rate, your runway gets much shorter because people right. are looking to move you out. So it was dramatic for me. Yeah. But what was interesting about the study, one of the takeaways was the 15 participants represented experience in 20 different industries and in all different kinds of roles and functions, and yet it, I could still use these essential 45 behaviors to predict performance across all of those industries. So I don't think it's just when you're a CEO that it's important. You can be an individual contributor, whether you're in finance or technology or nonprofit, teacher, you name it. Yeah, it's anybody who wants to lead anybody. Yeah, anyone, right, so that... (laughs) Get things done. Yeah. Um, Another thing that I found was really interesting was not only did I look for behaviors in the transcripts, but also candidates often organically spoke about their values and their motivations. So one candidate might be, when I'd say, when you've gone above and beyond, they might have a prelude of, you know, this is what's important to me, and this is why I decided to do what I did. So in capturing those, what I saw in the analysis at the end is those people who spoke organically about their values and their motivations were far more likely to initiate behaviors. Right. 
also, I mean, that makes sense. Point, I think it was like a point seven regression analysis, wow. and that literally, folks in the bottom of the pool less than one time spoke about their values. Where folks at the top, it might be I can't remember exactly, but it was over ten, ten to fifteen, huge difference. Yeah. So, I think about that as a mother again, admissions, yeah. a coach. How do you? People clearly who care about things bigger than themselves, problems right. they have to solve, are going to become leaders. It's that other-centered focus versus yeah. self-centered focus. Yeah. Yeah. How do you help people get, because I know from career development, it's about getting in touch with what matters. It's not like it just hits you right. one day. What do you, you care know, about? How do you encourage people to really find that? Because then you will. And the second thing was not only does motivations predict the number of leadership behaviors, which is so key to the yeah. study, but then also the number of leadership behaviors also is highly predictive of the number of outcomes that people had. Mm -hmm. So I also captured when anyone said, oh, I came up with a new process, or we launched a new initiative, or I you know, monitored and found you know, greater efficiency, whatever it was, I didn't necessarily code the scope and scale, right. but just coded each time they talked about an outcome. It was highly predictive, those that had leadership behaviors. So you think of the model of inside of this sphere is your motives and values, which are really encouraging you to take action, right. and that action in turn creates outcomes. Yeah. So there's your performance model. basically getting yeah. stuff done. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right? But bringing things into the world, that's amazing. So I, that, to me, I think that's a, a most, one of the most important discoveries because it'll shift how I coach and develop and what I look for and, as a mother, too, yeah. how I talk to my kids, even. Yeah, right? Trying to figure out how to get people you know, excited about things beyond yeah. themselves, yeah. And we know motivation is important, but really getting at it is so tough because not everybody's motivated by the same thing. You know, it's and that's really okay. Complex. Yeah, right? yeah. Exactly. Just find what something. What I've learned, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Right? Find something. If you're talking about it, you're likely doing something <laughs> yeah, about exactly. it. And also, what was interesting in this, this was a highly selective program. Even within, um, I had some assumptions that I wouldn't see major differences. Mm. But even within a sample of people who have gone out and performed academically incredibly well and had good performance from organizations coming in, there's still this huge difference. Yeah. So the, yeah. it's exciting there. And it also makes me think of my own admissions um, role going forward. What, how, do, how can we carefully look? How can we eliminate bias in the process? How can we look carefully to see what people have done and not just assume that a GPA captures you right. know, who's going to be able to change the world? Or next, gender so. issues or ethnicity. You know, ethnicity yeah. Because we know that there's halo bias around the preferred gender in terms of societal bias, right? Exactly. So, and when you get down to brass tacks, which is what I like to call it, like, what have you actually done? <laughs> in these really nice ways, it starts right. to differentiate itself, you know. The yeah. other thing you found that was really interesting, I thought, was that there are some, and this is, I think, is the next probably phase of your research mm -hmm. about the leaders that had the biggest staff had some interesting findings. Yeah. Um, that was about the MLQ. Yeah. So even everyone in this sample had received performance data that was put them really in the top. The, almost the, the majority was in the top 10%, somewhere in the top 20%. Yeah. And yet the MLQ data, when we looked at them versus national percentiles, put them below the 50th percentile, right. which was surprising to me. But the two people who scored highest on the MLQ were those that had significant number of staff members. And if you look, and even in the MLQ, about 40% of those that national percentile data are, are, so when leaders come in and use it, about 40% of the folks they get feedback from are below them in an organization. So what it kicked up for me essentially was why this may not be the greatest tool to be looking at people early in their career. Right. Because the questions are written such that 
they're almost targeting to your subordinates. If you don't have them, can you really pick up? That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So all the more reason for your structured behavioral interview approach that you've kind of yeah. discovered and at the end this. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's more than just whether or not the MLQ was a worthwhile yeah. survey, because certainly there's tons of research that shows it worked. For me, in a hiring process, there are confidentiality issues. Yes. You can't ask anybody That's right. to go out. It's a little different in admissions yeah. where I can get some references, but the big problem that we talked about, the big hairy problem is, who should we bring out of the talent yeah. pool? Who should we bring into the organization? Because right. once they're there, you can develop some things, but it's a lot better to get it yeah. as you're bringing it in. But and what the MLQ showed, though, is that it proved your interview's capacity exactly. right. to assess properly. Right. Right? I mean, that's amazing, because you're of this problem, even, you know, in And it was a little more predictive. Yes, right. <laughs> it's actually better. Better than the, yeah, the MLQ, right? which is which is incredible, because I think that the crazy, you know, in, in hiring, I've done a lot of recruiting myself, and, you know, references aren't really references. No one Not really says anything because yeah. everybody's worried about getting sued. So you have people that get passed from company to company, sadly, sometimes that maybe aren't the best fit, and no one's telling you the truth about them. So yeah. having these structured behavioral interviews that can actually predict performance, performance right. you know, that's, this, that's an incredible finding. And, right, and it protects confidentiality as well. Right. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about asking someone for eight references before they join your right, company. Exactly. <laughs> so I think the last thing is the takeaways for someone hiring. Is yes. That there has, even though we've known for what, 20 years that structural interviews, behavior-based interviews, are better than non, you know, I'm still wrestling with, well, why is that? Why are we using them so often? And there, have, there has been a little research and most of re about why that is, and most shows that they're cumbersome, you know, every job you have to come up with a certain list of questions and a rating scale, and that's what, what I did when I was working in executive recruiting. You would have the job description, and you'd really figure out what do you need to ask. Well, what's nice about this study is it's kind of a myth, what do I call it, a myth exploder, a myth finder. Yeah, a myth buster. Myth, myth <laughs> buster, because I, I interviewed people from all different industries and all different roles, and yet I was still able to predict performance from their supervisors. Right. So maybe it's a lot easier than we think. Yeah. Maybe these questions that we just talked about, tell me about a time when you've been effective, um, that leadership, perhaps is those capabilities and behaviors are universal. Right. So one protocol, you know, one set of questions and one rating scheme can really determine whether or not they're going to be a good performer no matter what yeah. industry you're in. I know we need more research to find that, but it's really exciting to think this could be a lot easier than yeah. we believed in the past. Yeah, definitely. As someone who's hired people, too, just knowing what have you done in the past that's made a difference, then I can sort of assess, well, will that work here? You know, so you're really right. getting down to behaviors, which I think Be is exactly. what matters. And I think hiring managers should use these kinds of questions to look at leadership, which seems to have universal impact, big universal impact on performance. But certainly you can add your yeah. own technical questions sure. about what skills do you need in this role. Yeah. But this could at least be a very big chunk of what that interview looked like. Yeah. So, Kirsten, thanks so much for being here today. This is a really exciting bit of research that you're hopefully going to continue yes, and apply. And good luck in your new role at Stanford. Thank and you. And we'll very definitely much. be tracking you. All right. <laughs> hopefully, great. you can Thank join you. us again someday. Thanks. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this month's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and you found it interesting. To listen to future editions, please subscribe to our SoundCloud and iTunes channels. To find out our next topic, follow us on Twitter at WilliamJamesEDU or visit the Organizational and Leadership Psychology main page at William James College.